those of you who are visitors and puzzled about the sound, we, uh, we are very close to Fort Knox property, and so if you hear a big boom, then it's probably them practicing. Please open your Bibles to the book of Second uh, Peter chapter 1. We will begin reading with verse 3. I divide this text into three sections. There is, first of all, the promise that we may participate in the divine nature. I preached on that two weeks ago. And then today, there is a, a prescription for how we are to participate in this process of becoming a partaker of the divine nature. So here is a something like a workout routine that will be that'll be what we'll focus on today and then at the end of this text there are several promises made to those who are partakers of the divine nature who have uh, partaken of these character qualities that are described here in 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning with verse 3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now there's the promise that you may become a partaker of the divine nature. Now, beginning in verse 5, here is the prescription on how we are to participate in this process. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. That's the prescription. Now, beginning in verse 8 and through verse 11, we have the promises that are made to those who have this transformation. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins." Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I heard not too long ago that um, in spite of the fact that professional athletes make millions of dollars, that the average football player is in financial distress two years after he has stopped playing in the league. Millions of dollars a year, but two years later he is either bankrupt or in in deep financial trouble. Two years. It's five years for basketball players. And uh, so I heard this discussion on the radio. Someone had written a book, and they said, well, the problem is these guys, most of them have come from poor backgrounds. They have never been taught how to handle money. So I think that he was writing a book to help them learn how to handle all of this money that they have so that within five years they would not be destitute. 
They've been given this great blessing of so much money, if it really is a blessing, but they need to know how to manage it. Another illustration with the same purpose, and let me say that I don't know of anyone in in this congregation who has had gastric bypass surgery, and I'm not passing any judgment on anyone who has, just using it as an illustration. They'll tell you that if you get gastric bypass surgery, you still have to learn to eat right. It's, you, you've been given a, uh, something that's really going to help you to lose weight, but you can't just keep on eating cake and ice cream every day. Uh, your body can't handle it, and it's in fact dangerous for you to do so. You've got to eat right. You've got to exercise. And so both of those illustrations serve to be an introduction to this passage of Scripture. There's no doubt about it that we are saved by grace. I pointed out to you a couple of weeks ago in verse 3 that it says, His divine power has granted to us all things. So it's, it's a gift that we have received. Verse 4 again says, By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. And uh, so we have been given... To, serve my, to use my illustrations, we have been given this multi-million dollar package. We have been given gastric bypass surgery that's going to help us to, to control our weight. But now here's what you've got to do to manage your money. Here's what you've got to do to maintain good health. And so, you know, when I come to passages that teach about the sovereignty of God... I hold nothing back and preach what the Bible says about the sovereignty of God. But now when I come to a passage of Scripture like this, which teaches human responsibility, I'm not going to hold anything back, and I'm going to preach human responsibility. It says there in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort. Notice that. Make every effort to do Uh, what is prescribed here. Now I'll come back to making every effort, but let me just give you a little preview of what's about to follow. What what follows is eight virtues. There are eight things that we are encouraged to cultivate, to supplement, and to strengthen. I can see some connection between like numbers four and five, or why number three is sandwiched between two and four. Uh, But For the most part, I don't think this is like a recipe. This is more like a packing list. There may be some uh, progress and ascendancy. Like I think it's significant that the whole list starts with faith and that it ends with love. But I can't always find a connection between everything that falls in between. But these are, this is one of those lists of virtues in the Bible of things that we are to be cultivating in our lives. In the process, I'll have opportunity to discuss what is a virtue. But this is one of those lists. And it is a prescription. If you want to be healthy spiritually, if you want to be a partaker in the divine nature, then you need to be sure to supplement your faith with, through this list of the seven things that follow faith. It starts with faith. But now let me come back to what it says, make every effort. Making every effort is something that we so rarely do. I mean, to really just pull out all the stops and to strain with all of our might towards a goal is something that most of us can only remember as being part of our distant past. 
maybe an athletic event that we forgot those things which are behind and straining toward what is ahead. We press on toward the goal. Now I'm quoting Scripture. For which we have been called heavenward in Christ Jesus. Yes, Paul uses those athletic metaphors of someone who is just giving his last bit of energy towards accomplishing the goal. We, some of us remember doing that in our days of athletics. Or some of us remember doing that uh, when we were preparing for some great test or some, something that we faced academically. Uh, many of you in the church know that uh, some, of our, some of our young ladies, Mallory and, uh, and uh, Emma Presley, have passed their, passed their CPA exams, very strenuous exams. And, uh, you know, if you know Mallory and if you know Emma, you were never in doubt that they were going to do it because they were the kind of people who know how to put effort into doing it. Pay attention in school. Study the appropriate materials. Get ready for it. You're going to pass the test. It's a great accomplishment, but it's an evidence, not just that they're smart girls. It's evidence that they know how to put effort into things. And uh, most great accomplishments are accomplished by people who are not just talented, but people who also work hard. In the process of uh, my uh, playing basketball and running track, I encountered some athletes who had enormous talent, but they wouldn't put the work in. And then there were other athletes who were only mediocre in their talent, but they did what the coach said. And they became good. They became really good because they did what the coach said. Here is our coach. Here is our father saying, you want to become a partaker in the divine nature? Follow this prescription. Now notice that this making every effort is embedded in a very encouraging promise. You have been granted this so that you may become partakers in the divine nature But notice the way that verse 5 starts off. For this very reason, make every effort. We might expect, for this very reason, take it easy. You're going to make it into heaven. Take it easy. God has given you everything that you need. But No, that's not what it says. For this very reason that you may become a partaker in the divine nature, make every effort to follow this prescription that I now give to you. And so let's start going through these eight virtues. And the first one is faith. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. But let's start with faith. As you've heard me say many times, faith is not fundamentally strong optimism. Faith may lead to strong optimism, but faith fundamentally is not strong optimism. Fundamentally, faith is believing what God has said, especially when the only reason that you have for believing it is that God has said it. And you believe it with the intention of obeying it. And that is the way that the Christian life commences. There's no point in supplementing your virtue with knowledge and your knowledge with self-control and so on through the list (coughs) unless you start with faith. You're not even in the kingdom of God unless you have submitted to God with an attitude of, I believe you and I will obey you. And uh, 
Of course, in the first two verses that I preached from two weeks ago, it tells us fundamentally that what you are to believe is that the way that you are reconciled to God is through Jesus Christ. It's through the knowledge of Him who has given us these very great and precious promises that through these we may become partakers in the divine nature. And so you start with faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is the virtue that, by which you lay hold on Christ. Faith is the virtue by which you are filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Helps me to think of faith as a feminine virtue. Faith is not a masculine virtue. It's not an, an initiating virtue. Faith is a receiving virtue. Faith is not a work. Faith is an anti-work. Faith is the opposite of a work. Faith is stopping working to achieve what you can never get through working and just saying, Lord, if I'm going to be saved, you've got to save me. Faith is when the flailing, panicking, drowning man stops fighting the lifeguard and allows himself to be towed into shore. And the Christian life commences in faith. One of the lists of Christian virtues that I read to you was the Beatitudes. Now, I do think that there is a a recognizable connection between being poor in spirit and being mournful and being meek and so on through the Beatitudes. And it starts off with being poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit is the idea, I cannot pay this bill myself. I've got to receive it like a beggar. I am poor. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're the only people who get into the kingdom of heaven. As long as people are standing in the temple like that Pharisee, putting his thumbs behind his suspenders, if they wore suspenders, and saying, I thank thee, Lord, that I am not like other men. I'm not even like this old tax collector. Thank God I'm not like him. And then this tax collector, who was the object of this Pharisee's derision, was so burdened with his sin that he would not even look up to heaven. But he beats his breast and he puts his face towards the floor. And you can just barely hear him mumbling, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the proud Pharisee, is the one who went to his house justified that day. Now, faith is is assuming the posture of that Poor tax collector who's on his knees before the Lord saying, have mercy upon me. Everything that I need to be right with you, you must give to me. But that's not the end of it. Supplement, it says, supplement your faith with virtue. Now, what is virtue? Uh, Missy, I recommended a book to you a few weeks ago that I couldn't remember the title and I thought it's, it's the book of virtues. So uh, it was followed up by the moral compass, but uh, William Bennett, Secretary of Education under the Reagan administration, put out two very fine books that are summaries of many of the uh, important tales and stories and uh, speeches that carry the virtues that have been held dear in the United States of America. And uh, I, I do want to emphasize to you the importance of good stories as a vehicle for carrying virtues. I think that the Bible is mostly stories for this reason. I know that it's mostly stories, but I think that one of the main reasons that it's mostly stories is that there are are lessons in moral virtue that are taught in all of these stories. And um, 
So what is a virtue? Well, if you have a footnote in your Bible, you may see that it's the same word that is used to describe Jesus a few sentences earlier when it says he calls us by his own glory and excellence. So it could be translated excellence, or it could both in both places be translated virtue. A virtue is something that is strong. A few of you know Latin, and you can tell that the word virtue is is connected to the Latin word for strength. This is something that makes you strong morally. In ancient days, there were four cardinal virtues, four virtues that it was thought every every well-rounded, educated, moral man needs to have these four virtues, courage, wisdom, self-control, and justice. Courage, wisdom, temperance, and justice. Temperance shows up in this list. Uh, That's a great list. The Bible wants us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to be courageous people. Uh, The Bible has entire books devoted to teaching us wisdom. We are to have the virtue of wisdom. We are to have the virtue of temperance or self-control. As I said, it's in this list. We are to be concerned about Uh, justice, to be concerned that everyone receives his due. And um, there are principles of justice that are laid down for us in the Scripture. These are the the four cardinal virtues in ancient days. The three cardinal Christian virtues are faith, hope, and love. These are These are character qualities that make you the kind of person that you ought to be. But in this context, these are the character qualities that make you look like God, that reflect the image of God. As we gaze at Him, then we want to, we want to love the things that He loves. We want to hate the things that He hates. I wonder if you just put that little test to the things that you're watching or the things that you're reading, what would be kept and what would be jettisoned? If you just said, I want to enjoy the things that God approves of, and I don't want to enjoy the things that God disapproves of, what, what kind of a difference would that make in our lives, in our recreation, in the things that we attempt to enjoy? Virtue is, is a, a, a strength of character. If we consider it singly, it's a, a single thing, like, like courage or uh, like like self-control. And we are to be concerned about being virtuous people. We are to be concerned about pursuing excellence. As I said, it can be translated either way. I'm afraid that so many of us are just dog-paddling away our lives without ever seeking excellence in anything. In, in a congregation like this, there will be some people who will end their lives in some kind of social disgrace. You'll plunge headlong into some sea of scandal that will ruin your reputation. God make it not so, but it's not unlikely. But the great danger that most people in this room face is not that you're going to plunge headlong into some sea of scandal. It's just that you're going to slowly dissolve in puddles of mediocrity. And just spend your whole life just puttering around. Making a few dollars here and there. When you might have had the pearl of great price. 
Making a few friends here and there. Gaining a few accolades here and there. When you might have had the approval of heaven. If you'd only put forth every effort. If you'd only stopped dog paddling and really set forth to swim. Supplement your faith with virtue, which could also be translated excellence. You like music? Are you listening to excellent music? You like, you like to play sports? Are you seeking to play sports like someone who's pursuing godly excellence? You like to read? Are you reading excellent books? You enjoy being with people? Are you seeking to make your circle an excellent circle? Or are you just blending in? Supplement your faith with virtue. And then notice what the third is, virtue with knowledge. What is virtue? Well, I think that virtue is significantly sandwiched between faith and knowledge. Because in our culture, there are some qualities that are admired as virtue that are not extolled in the Bible as being virtuous. It seems to me that in our culture, the only real virtue is that of absolute toleration. But absolute toleration is only possible for someone who has no convictions. Where do those convictions come from? Well, they come from faith, what the Lord says, and they come from knowledge, understanding what the Lord teaches. If you're going to be a virtuous person, you have to start with faith. You have to continue in seeking after knowledge. Now, I don't want this to be a distraction to you, but I just wonder if I asked you individually, have you learned anything significant this past week? if you could think of anything. Are you making every effort? I mean, if that's the case, are you making every effort to supplement your virtue with knowledge? You can do better. We can do better. We can be having the kind of conversations. We can be reading the kind of books. We can be involved in the kind of activities that we can be consciously making progress in knowledge. So is there something that you know this Sunday that you never knew last Sunday? There may be. I know my kids on the way home from a trip will say something. What was your favorite part of the trip? I don't think that way. What was your favorite meal of the week? I just don't think that way. I like them all. You know, I enjoy enjoy all the food. I enjoy all the experiences. And and to me, it doesn't really enhance the experience for me to pick out what was exactly my favorite. I'll often, uh, you know, bypass that and just go ahead and name something for the, you know, for the sake of getting along with everybody. But... uh, um, but in, in knowledge, you know, and so it's, it's very likely that if you just thought all afternoon, you can think, yeah, I learned something this week that has really improved my character. But it's also possible that if you haven't put forth any effort towards doing that, that you haven't. 
And it's something that will come when you make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge. Are you at least reading the Bible? I mean, that's just about as low as you can go if you're going to be making progress. But that's a lot if you're at least reading the Bible. I had someone tell me recently that... uh, They had benefited from my preaching, but they said one of the best things that you did was encourage me to read the Bible. Just reading the Bible has made such a difference in my life. And so I want to take this opportunity to say, are you reading your Bible? Are you reading your Bible every day? Are you making progress? If you're doing that and you're doing so thoughtfully, then it's fairly certain that you're making some progress in supplementing your virtue with knowledge. But now let's go on. In verse 6 we see, that we are to supplement our knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. Now, these are two virtues that I think are paired together deliberately, self-control and steadfastness. Self-control is Scripture-informed reason moderating excessive passion. Let me say that again. Self-control is Scripture-informed reason moderating excessive passion. So the way, that, the way this works is there are certain things that we want to do and our Scripture-informed reason says, that's not a good idea. There are certain things that we want to say, but our Scripture-informed reason says, maybe you should say that a different way. That's, it indicates that you have, you have the capacity to for self-evaluation. You're not just some animal that acts on instincts. You are a person, if you're a Christian, you're a person who has been implanted with a principle that is able to look objectively at what you're about to do and determine whether or not it's a good idea. And self-control sometimes says, you know, you need to hold back there a little bit, old boy. That's not not good. Control yourself. Now, steadfastness, the bookend to self-control, is Scripture-informed reason motivating defective passion. So self-control is when your reason says, "Eh, you're going a little too far there. And steadfastness is your reason saying, you need to put forth a little more effort here. Steadfastness. Steadfastness kicks in when you want to quit, when you don't feel like doing it today. And your Scripture-informed reason says, well, just remember, every act strengthens the habit, and every habit helps to form character. Oh, I know you're saying it's just today, but if you took advantage of the next 10 minutes, couldn't you at least get some of it done? That's what steadfastness does. Steadfastness says, let's let's keep going. I know you're tired. I know you feel like quitting. I know you're discouraged. I know someone in the stands said boo. I I know that not everything is going great for you here. Keep going. And we need to supplement our self control with steadfastness. And then notice next that we're to supplement steadfastness with godliness. 
Don't lose sight of the goal that we want to be like God. That's what it says back in verse 4. Through them we may become partakers of the divine nature. Well, becoming a partaker of the divine nature is to be godlike. And you can be godlike or godly if you follow this prescription. And it's possible to do all of this stuff that I've mentioned so far and not look like God. It's possible to believe the truths of the Bible. It's possible to practice virtues. It's possible to have knowledge. It's possible to be a self-controlled, steadfast person and still be lost. You can be a very disciplined, lost person. The goal here is that we might know God. That we might be in harmony with God. That we might think like God. That we might be able to say, Lord, if it is your will for me to be sick or for me to be well, for me to be rich or for me to be poor. From now on, let this be obvious to me and to everybody else. You and I are of one mind about this. Whatever it is that you send to me, you and I are of one mind about this. And if it's your will for me to be sick, then help me to show the world how a son of God behaves when he's sick. And if it's your will for me to be rich, then help me to show the world how a son of God behaves when he is rich. But my goal here is to be a godly man. And then there's something else that we can easily leave out of this formula. That's people. All right. Supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness. So far, I don't even have to be around people and I can be all this stuff. I can be so self-controlled as long as there's nobody there to provoke me. When I was a young man, connected to my uh, very competitive spirit, was a problem with anger. Get angry when I never won. Get angry when someone on my team caused us to lose or made a bad play. Then when I was converted at age 14, it was like like my anger went away. I thought I was healed of anger. Until age 27. And at age 27, I got married. (laughs) And then here is this person that I love more than anybody else in the world, who has the capacity to touch me on that very, very sensitive, tender, make-me-mad-in-a-minute spot that I thought was gone. But she found it, (laughs) and she knows exactly where it is to this very day. Um... Yeah, it's fairly easy to look like you're a virtuous person as long as you're shut up in a closet somewhere reading the Bible and praying. It's when you get around people that you really need to say brotherly affection is what next. That's what comes next. I need to have brotherly affection. I need to be nice to people. Now, you see that love follows this. And so I think that brotherly affection is just the general idea of I'm going to be nice to you. 
I'm going to help you. I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to see how I can be of service to you. And I hate to break the news to you people, but this needs to start at home. This is where it really shows whether or not you have brotherly kindness. Because, you know, there are certain... Most of us have been reared in such a way that your mom and your dad, my mom and dad taught, now when you're having a bad day, you don't need to pout in public. When you're having a bad day, you're still nice to other people. You still act nice. If you're having a fuss with your sisters or at home or with your mom and dad, when you're out in public, you still act nice. But then for some people, that just turns into, I'm going to be nice in public and I'm going to be ugly at home. I'm going to be surly at home. I am remembering a counseling situation that I had where there was a very talented husband who was upset with his wife, and she was upset with her very talented husband. And, uh, and a friend heard this very talented husband give a lecture one day in, in public, And she came home and told the wife, I couldn't believe that that man that I heard lecturing was the same person that I saw sitting in the corner of this house like an upset toad. How could it be the same person? Well, he, he had good manners. He was able to be winning in public when he was giving a public lecture. But when he came home, he wasn't practicing brotherly affection. Brotherly affection starts with your spouse. It starts with your children. It starts with your brothers and sisters, with your mom and your dad, with the people that you live in day by day. Supplement all of these other virtues with brotherly affection. And then finally, <clears throat> this list of eight virtues <clears throat> is capped off by love. Love. And it, there is a a kind of love for God and a kind of love for others that really makes all, all, everything else unnecessary. If you only love God enough, if you only love people enough, then do what you want. And you will do right. You will do well. Love is the greatest of the commandments. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Love, well... Love for God means that we believe Him. We have faith. Love for God and for others means that we're going to try to supplement our faith with virtue. Love for God means that we want to continue to know Him so that we may please Him and do what He wants. It will be a result in our having knowledge. Love for God will help us to be self-controlled, help us to be steadfast, Help us to pursue after godliness. Help us to practice brotherly affection. Love is the greatest. There abide faith, hope, and love, and virtue, and steadfastness, and self-control, and brotherly affection. But the greatest of these is love. And so make sure that you have the greatest of all these things. There was a time when Jesus the night before he was betrayed, washed his disciples' feet. And he said to them, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
That's a word that the Lord has for us this morning. Jesus has shown us how to live this kind of life. He has lived a life of glory and excellence. And now he hands us the exercise routine. Now he gives us the diet. And he says, here is how you can cooperate. As Jesus said on another occasion, go and do likewise. Jim Bob, come and lead us in a concluding hymn.